Hi there, dear listener. Lazlo here with a quick pre-roll message for you. Before we get started, I want to let you know there are all kinds of convenient ways for you to support my efforts to bring you all these podcast shows on Chinese history, Chinese sayings, and tea history. If you go to my website at teacup.media and click the support button at the top, you'll find a bunch of ways to show some appreciation. There's Patreon, where you can get early access to new episodes, exclusive content, and an invite to the Teacup Media Discord channel, and more. CHP Premium, that also has early access, exclusive episodes, and ad-free versions of the entire CHP back catalog. Plus, there's several other ways to donate to the show as well. Check the episode show notes for a link to that very page. And my deepest thanks for listening and supporting me and my humble efforts. Hello again, everyone. Laszlo Montgomery here with another beauty of a Chinese saying. An epic one, as you can see by the length of this narrative. This one has a multitude of uses and a fine story that goes along with these four characters. If you're familiar with China's mythical past and early Bronze Age dynasties, a lot of these names will sound familiar. A lot of names will get thrown at you in this episode, so if you get tripped up, don't fret. and Just go to the show notes at the teacup.media website to find out who these people were. I have all the names and terms listed for you. Once again, we have the great Taoist philosopher to thank for this one, good old Zhuangzi a family favorite of all Taoist-leaning people. And it stars Confucius. Yes, Kongzi, or Kongqiu, the most famous person to ever come out of the state of Lu in southern Shandong province. Our Chengyu for this time is Hu Kou, Yu Sheng. And without further ado, let's break the four characters down. Hu Kou, a Hu, is a tiger, and Kou is a mouth. Hu Kou, the tiger's mouth. Yu, that has a number of meanings. Aside from being a common surname, it means beyond or after a certain event, but more commonly it means remainder or surplus. And Sheng means to give birth to, to be born, grow, life, unripe, and other meanings besides those. But in this specific example... The two characters, Yu Sheng, means to survive a disaster. You string them all together and you get Tiger's Mouth, Survive Disaster. I suppose you can guess the meaning, but not with any high degree of certainty, unless you know your Zhuangzi. Not only was Zhuangzi one of the greatest Taoist philosophers, second only to Lao Tzu himself, his most famous book also goes by that name, the Zhuangzi a.k.a. the second book of the Tao. As a work of literature, it's one of the most beloved of all the ancient texts, though there are plenty of interpretations as far as what this great sage actually meant in his teachings, not to mention the challenges in translating Zhuangzi into a foreign language. If you open up your copy of the Zhuangzi to the Zapian, the miscellaneous chapters, go to the story entitled... And there you'll find today's useful Chengyu. Besides Confucius, or his real name, Kongqiu, this story also features his good friend Liu Xiaqi and his badass younger brother named Dao Zhi, or Robber Zhi. A Dao is a robber. 
Now, this man, Doucher, or Robert Jer, he had 9,000 followers who he led, and together they terrorized the kingdom of Lu, located just south of the Qi state. Qi and Lu were the ancient Zhou dynasty states that made up present-day Shandong province. Confucius came from Lu as well. And this Robert Jer, he and his men wantedly harassed all the various dukes and princes, they dug through walls, broke into houses, and terrorized the people, driving away their horses and livestock, and kidnapped their wives and daughters, and just caused an all-around bad vibe in Lul. Robert Jer was just about the most unconfucian person in all the land, completely ignored the traditional rules of kinship, refused to perform sacrifices and honor his ancestors, and he treated everyone just awfully, and everyone went to great lengths to avoid ever having to come face to face with him and his gang. One day, Confucius called on his friend, Liu Xiaoji, and said to him, If one is a parent, one must admonish one's children. If one is an elder sibling, one must educate one's younger siblings. If one does not perform these filial duties, what value remains in the filial bond? You, sir, are a man renowned for his virtue everywhere in the world. Yet your younger brother is known as Robert Jir, and he terrorizes the land, and you do nothing to admonish him. In private, I am ashamed on your behalf, and I would like to go in your stead to try to convince your brother. To this, Liu Xiaoji said, Confucius? You speak of filial duties and of education. Yet if a child is unwilling to receive admonishments from his parents or a younger brother to accept the education of his older brother, even if he is naturally quick-witted like yourself, what can he amount to? Especially in the case of my brother, Robert Jer, his mind is as quick as a gushing fountain and his emotions change as quickly as a hurricane rises. His skill with weapons is enough to fend off any enemy, and his wit is quick enough to conceal any flaw. He will be happy if what you say pleases him. But if you go against his wishes, he will burst into anger and berate you. I beg you, Confucius, do not visit him. Confucius refused to believe this, and he decided to school his friend Liu Xiaoji and talk some sense into his thuggish, younger brother. So one day he set off with two of his greatest disciples, Yan Hui and Zi Gong, and together they headed in the direction of Taishan, Mount Tai, one of the sacred mountains of China, and drove right up to the front door of Robert Jir's encampment. And as Confucius alighted from his carriage, he saw Robert Jir's men barbecuing chopped human livers, and already Confucius was not getting a good feeling about coming here. He approached the guard and requested an audience with Robert Jir, and he announced himself. I am Confucius of the state of Lu, and I have heard of the strength and righteousness of your general. Please ask him to grant me an audience. So when the underlings passed this message to Robert Jir, he flew into a rage, his eyes burnt like stars, and all of his hair stood on end. And he said, Is that not that trickster from the kingdom of Lu, Kong Chiu? Tell him for me, you speak many falsehoods and proclaim 
that you are continuing the legacy of the Zhou Dynasty kings Wen and King Wu. Your hat is laden like a tree branch. You wear a wide belt of leather, and you spew laughable words all day long. You do not plow, yet you eat good food. You do not spin, yet you wear fine cloth. All you do is wag your tongue all day long, talking of right and wrong and confusing all the kings on earth. All scholars who listen to you become unable to study the laws of nature. Moreover, you falsely propagate the idea of filial piety in order to wrangle official positions or prize money out of the powerful. Your crimes are serious indeed. Get out of my sight, lest I add your liver to my grill. Confucius sighed and tried once again for an audience. This time, he said to Robert Jure's man, I am lucky enough to be friends with Liu Xiaqi and earnestly beg for an audience with your leader. So this underling once again brought Confucius's message to Robert Jure, and Robert Jure said, Tell him to come in. So Confucius walked quickly and carefully into Robert Jure's tent and kowtowed to him several paces away from where he sat. The sight of Confucius once again stirred Robert Jure's anger. He stretched out his legs and his hand went to the hilt of his sword, and he roared like a tigress with newborn young and said, Confucius, come forth. If what you say is agreeable to me, you may live another day. If not, you've only death to look forward to. Confucius considered this, and then he said, I have heard that there are three earthly virtues, to be born tall, broad, and comely, so that one is pleasant to look upon by everyone, no matter old or young, rich or poor. This is the highest of virtues, to be so wise that one knows of everything on earth and can converse well about all things. This is the middle virtue, to be brave, bold, and skilled with weapons so that one can lead armies is the lowest virtue. If anyone possesses even one of these virtues, he is qualified to call himself king. And you possess all three. You're eight feet tall, and your face and eyes are bright, your lips are vermilion, and your teeth are like precious shells. Your voice sounds as clear as a bell. Yet you call yourself Robert Jure. I'm secretly ashamed for you and your ill name. If you heed my advice... I will send ambassadors to the states of Wu and Yue in the south, Qi and Lu in the north, Song and Wei in the east, and Jin and Qin in the west. I will delegate people to build hundreds of li of fortifications for you around towns of hundreds of thousands of people. You would be the lord of all of this. You could turn over a new leaf with all the kings you have offended, lay down your weapons and cultivate the land, take in disciples and sacrifice to your ancestors. These would be the actions of a virtuous sage, and this is what everyone wishes for you. When Confucius finished speaking, Robert Jure flew into a rage. Come on, Confucius, anyone who was taken in by your talk is a mere common idiot. It is true that I am tall and handsome, and that people love to look at me, but this is a virtue inherited from my parents. Even if you, Kong Chiu, did not flatter me to my face, do you think I would not know this? And I have heard that those who shower praises upon you to your face 
often do exactly the opposite behind your back. Now you tell me of your intentions to position me as ruler over cities and thousands of people? Well, this is bribing me, treating me as a common idiot. Do you really think this is a sustainable course of action? No matter how large a city is, it cannot be larger than the whole world. The venerable ancients, Yao and Shun, ruled over the whole world. Yet their sons and grandsons haven't got enough land even to stick an axe in. King Tang of Shang and King Wu of Zhou announced themselves as the sons of heaven. Yet their descendants, too, went extinct. Was this not because they were greedy enough to wish to own the whole world? Furthermore, I have heard that in ancient times, beasts and birds were plenty, and men were few. So people lived in nests and trees to hide from the beasts. In the daytime, they gathered acorns to eat, and at night sought refuge in the trees. And so they were called the nest people. In those times, they did not know to wear clothes, so they gathered firewood in the summer and burnt what they gathered in the winter to keep warm. And so they were called those who knew how to survive. By the time of the divine farmer, Shan Nong, what a quiet, free life people led. Their actions were unrestrained. They knew only of their mothers and not of their fathers. They roamed with the deer. They ate what they planted and wore what they wove. They had no thought of harming others. This was the age of true virtue. But by the time of the Yellow Emperor, these virtues were extinct. The Yellow Emperor warred with Churyo in the wilds of Zhuolu, so that blood stained the fields for a hundred miles around. When Yao and Shun were emperors, they designated hundreds of officials. Tang of Shang exiled his ruler, and King Wu of Zhou killed his predecessor, King Zhou of Shang. From those times onwards, the world went by the principle of might makes right. The strong terrorized the weak, and the majority oppressed the minority. Since King Tang of Shang and Zhou King Wu, there has been no true virtue. Only disorder and confusion. Today you study the methods by which King Wu and his father King Wen ruled, teaching them to the whole world, with your heart set on passing them down to future generations. You wear the Confucian robe and belt, and your words and ways are false and artificial. But you seduce all the kings on earth with them for the purpose of enriching yourself and gaining ample rewards. You speak of robbers, but there is no robber more villainous than you. Why do they not call you Robber Confucius, though they call me Robber Jir? You used your silver tongue to hypnotize your disciple Zi Lu into your path. He threw away his warrior's helm and his longsword and began to follow your teachings. Everyone said you were powerful enough to stop violence and waywardness. But after all, Zi Lu made an unsuccessful attempt to murder the king of Wei and was chopped to pieces on the east gate of Wei. This failure must be attributed to the failure of your teachings. Don't you call yourself the scholar or the sage? And yet you have twice been chased out of Lu state, and you have fled to Wei, found yourself in dire straits in Qi, and then besieged in Chen and Cai. There isn't a safe resting place for you anywhere on earth, and your disciple, Zi Lu, came to such a sorry end. 
If the teacher cannot find his place among men, how can one expect his student to become a pillar of society? Where is the use of your set of dogmas? And he continued, No one is more respected than the Yellow Emperor, yet even he could not protect his virtue. He fought on the plains of Zhuolu in Hebei and spilt blood for hundreds of li. Tang Yao was not magnanimous. Yu Shun had no filial piety. Half of Yu the Great's body was paralyzed, and Tang of Shang exiled his predecessor. King Wu mobilized an army against King Zhou of Shang, and King Wen was imprisoned at Youli. Everyone respects these six men, but when one examines them carefully, their behavior is shameful, for they betrayed their own true nature as well as natural laws in search of achievement and profit. Bo Yi and Shu Qi are called virtuous scholars, but they turned down the kingship of Gu Zhu and starved to death on Mount Shouyang. Their bodies were never buried. Bao Jiao thought of lofty matters and disdained earthly things and actually died hugging a tree. Shan Tu Di had his advice ignored multiple times and killed himself by strapping a rock onto his back and walking into a river. His corpse was eaten by the fishes. Jie Tui was most faithful and offered a piece of meat from his own thigh for Duke Wen of Jin to eat. But after Duke Wen returned to his homeland, he forgot about Jie Tui entirely. Jie Tui ran away from the city and into the forest out of anger and was also burnt to death, hugging a tree. Wei Sheng had arranged a rendezvous with a woman under a bridge, but the woman didn't come. Instead of scrambling away from the rising tide, Wei Sheng drowned to death while gripping a bridge column. The fates of these six men are no different from a dog torn limb from limb, or a pig drowned in the river, or a beggar with nothing but the bowl with which he begs. They were all men who placed too much importance on fame. They neglected their own lives, and death came quickly. They did not take care of their own bodies or cherish their natural lives. When people talk of faithful officials, there is no one more faithful than Prince Bi Gan and Wu Zixu, but Wu Zixu's corpse was thrown into the river, and Bi Gan had his heart cut out. These two people, though they are called faithful officials, are, after all, just laughingstocks for everyone on earth. From those examples, you can see that even men of Wu Zixu and Bi Gan's caliber are not worth respecting. If you, Kong Chiu, had tried to convince me with strange and fantastical tales, I would not have been able to judge their truthfulness. But you have only told me of the real world and its affairs, and I've heard all this before. Now let me tell you a few things about human nature. Human eyes want to see color. Our ears want to hear sound, our mouths to taste flavor, our essence of life to endure. A man could live a hundred years at most, eighty years on average, and sixty years if he's unlucky. If we subtract from that any time when one is sick, dying, or depressed, we are truly happy only about four or five days a month. The heaven and earth are boundless but human life is limited. Compare a finite human life with the endless time of heaven and earth. It flies by as quickly as a racehorse passes a crack in the wall. If a person isn't able to live happily and to preserve his own life as well as he can during his time on earth, he's not wise, nor attuned to natural laws. Everything you, 
Kongqiu, speak of as desirable, is precisely what I'm trying to avoid. Get out of my sight as quickly as possible and cease your blabbering. Your set of dogmas goes against human nature and is deceitful and hypocritical. It is useless to me as it prevents me from seeking the natural truth. What more is there to say? Confucius bowed and left the room quickly and boarded his carriage where his two disciples awaited him. Three times he tried to grasp the reins and they fell from his hands. His eyes were misty and confused and his face was ashen. He leaned his head against the carriage's dashboard and could not even breathe heavily for the wind had been thoroughly taken out of his sails. When he reached the east gate of the kingdom of Lu, he bumped into his friend, Robert Zhu's older brother, Liu Xiaji. Liu Xiaji said, I have not seen you for many days, Confucius, and I've been worrying about you. You look as if you've been on a journey. I'm afraid you didn't listen to me and went to see Robert Zhu. Confucius gave out a long sigh and replied, Yes, I did. Liu Xiaji said, did he completely reject outright all of your teachings, just as I said he would? Confucius said, That's exactly what happened. My going to see him was as unnecessarily painful as sticking acupuncture needles into oneself when one is not sick. It was as if I had hurried into a tiger's den, played with the tiger's head, and braided his whiskers. How close I was to being eaten alive. So at that punchline, Confucius summed up the entire experience by saying, Huko, from the tiger's mouth, meaning Robert Zhu, he, Yu Sheng, survived the disaster to live another day. He narrowly escaped great harm or death and lived on. Huko, Yu Sheng, when you find yourself in dire circumstances, even life-threatening, and somehow you manage to survive and live to see another sunrise, you can say, you barely got out of there alive. A narrow escape. Well, this one went on a bit longer than your usual run-of-the-mill CSP episode, but considering the chu chu, or origin of this idiom, coming from the Zhuangzi and featuring the famous Confucius, I'm sure no one minds, this one went into extra innings. Okay, that's your Chinese saying for this time. Thanks again to Indispensable Emma, managing the whole team at the Changyu Yanjiu Zhongxin. This is Laszlo Montgomery signing off from Los Angeles in the state of confusion, inviting you to come back next time for another educational and informative episode of the Chinese Sayings Podcast.